Everybody, welcome to another installment of Show to Be with Mike G, the show of life, the show of Georgia State T-shirt cannons, musical festivals, and so much more. With today's guest from Campari, America, Mr. Mike Capoferi, a wonderful guy. He's healthy. He is a mentor to the industry, very down to earth, and had a great chat with him recently in town in Austin, Texas, with his T-shirt cannon. You know, you can use that thing for tacos if you wrap a Campari bottle just well enough. You can shoot that thing as well at three hundred. PSI, this is an impressible feat upon this industry. And it's great to sit down and chat with Mike about life, music, industry, and so much more. So without further ado, I hope you guys enjoy this great chat with Mike Capoferi. I feel too old for music festivals. What? I know. How old are you now? 31. Oh, pff. oh, well, okay, you are. Yeah, I think once you hit 30, standing up that all day sucks. I used to go a lot when I was a kid. I mean, 2007, I went to, like, the first, that was, like, the third Bonnaroo or something like yeah, that. Yeah, When yeah. it was still, like, a sure. bunch of hippies, mm-hmm. and I was into that type of thing back then. But. Did you ever catch, out, you ever catch uh, Outkast and Big Boy in Atlanta? I've seen Outkast live a few times. Yeah. Uh, my favorite hip-hop group of all time, obviously. I mean, I'm a homer from Atlanta, yeah. but... Uh, I love Outcast. I yeah. even love like the stuff Big Boy's still doing, but one of the most disappointing things I've ever seen was Outcast Live. No. Yeah. Why? I mean, how much live hip hop have you seen? Not I gonna be really honest, not a whole lot. It, there's a certain type of hip hop that translates well to a live show. Sure. It's the more like underground stuff. Yeah. Most hip hop really is horrible live. And that <laughs> breaks my heart because I'm a huge hip hop head and yeah. like uh, I saw Outcast. The first time I saw Outcast was the most disappointing because this was Music Midtown in Atlanta, probably around like 2004. That's a good time for yeah. it. Yeah. But it's an outdoor concert. Uh, and like live hip hop's bad enough in a great venue and it's really shitty outside at a music festival. Just drowns out as the farther it gets out. It's just like cacophony. Yeah. Noise. Yeah, it was bad. Man, what's too bad? Did you ever rectify or reconcile that terrible performance? I still. I still, I lost no respect for Outkast okay, because well, of that. Good. Because, like, you know, I've seen a lot of, like, big name hip-hop artists live, and it's yeah. all been pretty garbage, <laughs> honestly. like <laughs> At least it's consistent. Like, even, like, Wu-Tang kind of sucks live, and, like, yeah. Bone Thugs was awful live. Well, they never that were good way, on record. That was way back in the day. Yeah, Bone Thugs, weird. come on. No, I mean, so they kind of can sing, but it's like if my cousin was singing because he just wanted to try to have a career for yeah. it. Those vocal melodies are pretty pretty rough, man. Yeah, you're right. They're, they're pretty flat. But I think that was the appeal. We go back and we sober up as we get older, and we're like, Bone Thugs was good. I still like the fast rap, though. You yeah, know? that's fair. That's totally fair. Yeah. Man, all right, so music is a good piece. We're going to have to talk more about that. <laughs> See, I, I'm just trying to find these anchors. These, yeah, these I don't know. Are... I don't. I never really considered myself like a big music person. I just I kind of grew up on like Southern hip-hop and classic yeah, rock, that, I guess. that's so. important, you know? Bob Seger? I, mean, I saw some some Bob Seger posts. Bob Seger's the you know the patron saint of the South, right besides Skinner. I think. Oh no, well, I mean, I'm a huge Bob Seger guy. I guess uh, 
I don't know. My my family's from the Northeast, so it was like I grew up like Springsteen and yes. Billy Joel, I guess. But yes. then like being growing up in the South, I learned you know Southern classic rock real early, and then you you said two of my hip-hop. favorite words, hmm. Billy Joel. Billy Joel, yeah, yeah. Billy Joel is all right. And people get mad because they'll say this is Dylan, but Billy Joel is the best American songwriter. I'm, I'm going to put that. On that's a table. that's a bold statement. But tell me who's a better songwriter. Now I'm not being contentious. I promise. But I just like who really could be better. I mean, as an American songwriter, not a lyricist necessarily. Right? Well, it's got to be Bob Dylan, right? No way. He can sing. He can write a melody to save his ass. He's a terrible singer. That's right. Bob Dylan's got the worst voice ever. <laughs> exactly. But his songs were, I mean, lyrically iconic, poignant, and legendary, right? and but how many like, can you... so, like every Bob Dylan song is better performed by someone else. <laughs> But they've all been performed by so many people. Yes, Hendrix. That's the most notable. Yeah, I mean, that's okay. You know, that you just that that answers it right there. Guns and Roses, knocking on heaven's door. Well, man. if if they went past three records, I would. Oh yeah, right with the Dylan cover. I don't know, man. I still think Billy Joel's the best American songwriter. I'm not. I'm not hating on that. It's yeah. just it's a point of contention. I think, I think. I like it. A lot of people would be more upset than I would be. See, but this that. is good. This is what I'm trying to do. Be provocative. Yeah. Right. But I love Billy Joel too, so I'm not. I'm not. I'm not mad about that. I just. I grew up on Billy Joel. He's he's and an Springsteen. unsung hero of the working class. Yeah. Much like Springsteen. He, you know, blue collar guy. <laughs> Allegedly, he sings about it a lot. He really does. <laughs> whether, I think he's a little bit of a massage. I don't think he likes women that much either. Going back to listen to some of those songs. Yeah, but that's an aside. But for someone who doesn't like women, that guy has spent a lifetime out kicking his coverage. He's an ugly man. He's and has yeah, surrounded himself by some really beautiful wives and girlfriends. He did pretty well. Yeah, he did pretty well. Tip my hat to Billy Joel yeah. right now. Finally, get to do that. If I ever get to talk to Billy Joel, it'd be amazing. But so here, let's let's. Talk about this life on the road like a rock star. I think it's a great segue, actually. Billy Joel, rock star. Bob Dylan, rock star. Bob Never Bob. considered myself a rock star, but I'll take it. It is very similar. So that's a right? first. So I see you jet setting around the world. We talk about London. There's Atlanta, New York for speed rack. So many different things. Austin. This is your second trip to Austin within two months. Second in two months, and I'll be back four more times before see, the end of the year. It's an amazing place. Looking forward to having you again. Awesome town. There. This is the thing, and we have lots of great access to booze, even as we're demonstrating right now, sipping this mezcal. You're traveling a lot, but it also seems like you're pretty focused on your health. You're a runner, perhaps? Uh, I do more cycling than running. Cycling, okay. Running's just easier to do on the road, because I yeah. can't bring my bike with me. That's fair. Yeah. Do you feel it gets difficult as you get older to balance that healthy lifestyle and the social butterfly that you are lifestyle. I think it's hard. Uh, I don't, it's probably getting harder, but it's becoming more of a focus. I think like as anyone kind of grows up, you have to, you know, you start seeing, (laughs) seeing the wrinkles form and seeing the pounds add on. So it's like, why did I get out of breath walking up the stairs? So, you know, I think the, the, the balance is harder, but focusing on it is easier now. It's like, you know, like now they've been traveling for a little bit, like, you know, your routine, you know, I'm going to be in a city for this many days. Yeah. You can kind of book when you're going to exercise and like, you can try to find a time to eat a healthy meal and you can, you know, not finish all of your cocktails right. or order something lower alcohol. Like I, I'm blessed with a very low ABV portfolio. So, yeah. you know, homies that are tequila ambassadors, I don't know how they do it. You know, 15, <laughs> 15 bars, 15 tequila cocktails. That's insane. That's but, a lot. Yeah the focus becomes more on finding a balance, I think. And it's, 
you know, if I can find two times to get a quick piece of exercise in or mm. get outside during a four day trip, You're gonna do then, it. then that's, I think that's a success. When you, the other piece too, so I think that's good that, you know, balancing that health because it does, it feels like you're doing a pretty good job of maintaining that balance. So far, I think. You know, at 31, I mean, most people fall apart at 31, so you're doing a good job, at least aesthetically, might I well, well, compliment you, you right? So kind, so kind. <laughs> Face for radio, right? That's right. <laughs> uh, now, I've had some friends, like, that are even younger than me have some, like, health scares. Like, I recently had a friend go to the hospital because of a health scare, just because of this lifestyle, right. a brand ambassador friend. Yeah. Uh, a couple years younger than me. That's so, crazy. Yeah. You know. Do you think that you can set a pretty good example for those guys, being a little bit older, a little bit more... Uh, tenured in this industry? Uh, I don't know. I mean, you know, a lot of my friends in this business have been doing it longer than me. And yeah. they're the people I go to for, you know, on career advice. Mm. Um, you know, I, I never considered myself like a role model <laughs> in that way. But I think it is good to be kind of like, so, uh, you know, I, I'm motivated a lot by um, somebody I, I work with who is yeah. like the master of balance on the road. Yeah. And she is so good at it and so motivating to like keep that lifestyle mm. like that she kind of motivates me and if i in turn can like be vocal about what i'm doing so that other people kind of maybe will follow yeah then, paying yeah. it forward in but i sense. don't really i've never really purposely like tried to set an example yeah i'm just like trying to keep up with the people i respect and then maybe someone will try to keep up with me and then well it's a tiered system in a sense yeah. right like the older people they've been out there doing it longer they saw this pre-renaissance of cocktail culture and they have some learnings from the the 90s maybe right or the yeah. early 2000s so it's good i think that you have the ability to pay it forward like that i also feel like because again you know we mentioned this before we're starting rolling but i can usually find a good amount of information about people right mm-hmm. and, and not in a bad way but just to kind of foster some conversation talk about some other things outside of the industry but it feels like your online presence which i'm sure is a big piece of why someone would put you in a brand ambassador role actually how you represent yourself online it feels relatively brand focused do you intentionally have a line in the sand between what you're willing to share with the public and what you do in fact share absolutely uh so i think i think my brand would probably like it if i was a little more present online you know just like or like maybe a little more uh you know if i posted more often or right, you know right. uh but i've always said this like um even like before i was doing this job is like never be polarizing on the internet right <laughs> like uh i don't know we especially in our industry where like no one ever really goes away like yeah. uh in any other industry you switch companies you do whatever you never see the people you used to work with again like in our industry you're going to see everyone over yeah. and over and over again so like uh try not to offend uh try not to be polarizing uh if you know me Mm. Uh, you know I have incredibly strong opinions and I'm, and I'm very polarized on issues uh, but I just don't publicly post when the, when the camera's ever. not rolling and it's not an accident I, I never I never do that yeah. and I probably never will even one day if I don't work for a brand anymore I don't see the need to really be polarizing online yeah. or you know religion politics things I have incredibly strong feelings about yeah uh, I don't feel really the need to talk so about it is, that. So I'm glad that it's intentional. I'm glad you're kind of conscious or conscientious about that. You know? I try because to preach the gospel of that to g- others. Which is funny, <laughs> like, right? The gospel <laughs> of, like, in a sense, being reticent yeah. to, to share too much. Do you think then people definitely get a chance to understand you and know the, the real man that you are on the road and then at these kind of events that you throw? 
I think so. Uh, I don't really, there's not a big difference between like my work mode and my not work mode. Yeah. Like I am the same person all the time. I, I try to be, or at least I don't consciously try to be a different person when I'm like working. Right. Uh, I think that's kind of part of like, if you really want to be representative of a brand and be part of an industry, you need to be yourself all the time. Like, yeah. and I think brands should look to hire someone who is the right person when they're being themselves as opposed mm. to like putting on a front. Um, and I think most people I know in the industry would agree that like, I don't really have to turn anything on or off. Like yeah. that is my personality. I'm kind of like always working. I, I, I do love the brands I represent. I would never take a brand job for, for if I didn't, right. I was super hesitant to take this job cause I'd never worked for a brand before. Um, a few years ago when I took this. So I don't, it's not, I don't have to fake it. So it's you through and through. Yeah. I like that. That's good. I mean, and I think you're right. I think that's the smart hire. Someone so. that's going to be genuine, you know, through and through globally, right? Because you're traveling so many different places and talking and engaging with so many people, you know. But this whole story starts in Georgia. Yep. Atlanta proper is that where you grew up? Grew up uh, 15 miles north of the city yeah. uh, in a town that is now called Johns Creek. It wasn't called that when I grew up there. But what it's was like, it called when you grew up? It was unincorporated Fulton County. Uh, and it was That's kind of got a nice ring to it. <laughs> <laughs> kind of between like Alfred and Duluth areas. I mean, okay. suburban, you know, yeah. uh, like didn't grow up like in a super rich family, a very like middle class, but yeah. grew up in a very wealthy area. It's all country clubs and rich kids. And Been there. Uh, yeah. It's an interesting dichotomy sometimes. It is interesting. And uh, it's way different now. I think, I think better. It's got a little more culture now. And, yeah. It's, you know, it's a it's a lovely place to grow up, and I see why my folks moved there to raise their kids. It's good schools makes and, sense. Yeah. What kinds of things? Uh, what industries were your folks in? My father's a chiropractor. Chiropractor. And okay. my mom runs his office. No kidding. And Did they meet at the office or before the office? Before that, they met when my dad was in chiropractic school, okay. and they've been married for like thirty. 36 years that's amazing and they work together every day and they yeah. still like each other it's really weird it's a pretty pretty rare thing like i'm perplexed still, right now wait they, they still like yeah other. they still like years? like like are gross you know <laughs> like still like pda how yeah that's you know how you have the best chance now you have such a great template at home you can go out and find love whenever you want it <laughs> i'm uh you know i'm home like five days a month so yeah, the odds of a relationship while doing this job are, are slim to none a good point but that's okay it's i'm not i'm not in a hurry i, I enjoy what i do so yeah it's, it's it seems fulfilling on a social pe- level at least you know and educational one as well yeah i mean it's awesome like i get to i get to travel around and and like do trainings you know yeah. and i get to just go to meet people at bars it's really really fun i, lo- I love Man. this industry like it's not it's not something i've been it, i've been shoehorned into it's something that i tried for years and years to get out of and i tried a million other things and then um at a certain point, about, I'd say, five years ago, mm. I was just like, I love this. Why am I trying to do other things? I've been doing this since I was 14 years old. Like, Can't fight this feeling so, anymore. Yeah, right? so you just embrace it. And <laughs> once you embrace this industry, you realize that it's incredible. Like, yeah. It attracts, well, not all awesome people, but some of the greatest people I've met because of this industry. And and, and they all are like recovering musicians or recovering actors, people I would hang out with In L.A. Anyway. they are. Anyway. <laughs> in L.A., everyone's, everyone's an actor or musician. But then everybody's a transplant, so you get people coming into Austin, same thing, you know, yeah. bartenders and everything. Before this hospitality kind of passion emerged, I guess you could say, you were, were on the straight and narrow. You were going to Georgia State. Like, you were going to do a real career. Not that this isn't, but like, 
you know, textbook career. Kind of. I didn't know. I didn't know what I was going to do. So uh, I had like, I, like I said, I had great parents, and like they were almost too supportive. <laughs> they were like, <laughs> yeah, like do whatever you want. You know, it's like middle child syndrome. I just like got yeah. away with anything, but also like, you know, I went to school right outside of a rent to college right after high school for free and they're like for free uh georgia has this amazing thing called the hope scholarship that if you carry a b average you can go to college for free at any That's state school no yeah shame. it's amazing it's funny that, funded that by is amazing it's incredible yeah i'm surprised more states don't do it but so i went he was like my dad's like i'll pay for you to go whatever school you want if you're like really hyped about learning somewhere and i was like eh, i don't really know i'll just go to school for free don't worry about it yeah uh and i went to school for you know business because i didn't know what to study and then i dropped Talk out goes. dropped out and uh started a textbook rental company textbook rental okay. before that was a thing oh that's right because now there's rental prices or now you can rent prices. them so we started a textbook rental company just at like one one uh, state school in atlanta and then did that for about a year and hated it and i was 21 years old and was like miserable so we stopped doing that uh and then i went back to school for fine art what and I specialty like, in what drawing painting like studio art and then uh <laughs> i did that for like a year and a half and then uh I had started like writing automotive journalism, like writing copy just for fun, like for automotive. Journalism. Yeah, just like covering auto shows and doing like car reviews and stuff like that. And uh, got an offer to move to LA, so I I dropped out of school again. I never did finish. I don't know if Campari knows that actually. Hopefully they don't listen to this, but <laughs> no one listens to this. Don't worry. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so dropped out of school again, and then uh, about a year later moved to LA, and I was writing automotive copy, and then. Like, you can be the best automotive writer in the world and make, like, no money. And, like, yeah. you have to really, really love it. And I was just, like, kind of doing it because I liked writing a little bit. Yeah. And I liked cars. But it definitely wasn't the thing for me. And I was bartending anyway. So just kind of dropped that. And... Well, so let's talk about aesthetic for just a moment. Because cars, for me, have this kind of cultural relevance as, as a means of aesthetic. It doesn't matter how fast they are. Often, the beautiful cars are fast. But for you, when you think about cars, that was the only thing I was drawn when I was a kid, yeah. you know, do you, do you find that that's like a source of inspiration? Cause I think I've, I've read about you being interested in bar design, for example, which is aesthetic to some degree. Do cars in general, is that something you look at and you're like, I really do appreciate the aesthetic that goes into a 64 Mustang or. Yeah. So, I mean, I just grew up as like a car guy and I've always been like a, a design a sucker for design. Yeah. Right. Um, I still love cars. I mean, I don't follow the industry like I used right, to, right. but like I, yeah, I grew up, you know, everything was, I was building models. I was building model cars. Like yeah. That's all I used to do. Um, and I don't know, maybe that kind of led to why, I mean, like, so before I was with Campari, uh, I had kind of like really lightened up my bartending schedule and I was just consulting and like designing bars. So by far my favorite part of that industry is the design part, yeah. the, the equipment layout, the, when you get to start picking placement of equipment, color of, Wallpaper, you know, you get mm -hmm. to start picking your what your bar top's made of, what your glassware looks like. Like that is it's, definitely my it's favorite very part. appealing, right? So I don't know. Maybe that was the appeal for cars. Well, that's what me, I'm but. saying is like I'm, I I find maybe I'm just interviewing people so that things are activated in me, right? Maybe, yeah. maybe it's a very selfish endeavor. I don't sure. really know at the end of the day, but I think about that too. I was making models. I was painting vintage Corvettes that were like the little cast iron or whatever they were. Yeah, and then I think about cars being the prototype for great design and great aesthetic and then you then have this passion for bars which probably is like are you an angular guy or a curved guy like if you think about a aesthetic for a customer walking into a bar do you want something that's kind of smooth and curvy or something a little bit more angular and masculine well like the way my brain works is uh 
a curved bar is like almost impossible to make efficient yeah. as far as the equipment that's behind it. And yeah. I'm just like, I don't know. I think my brain skis like way more analytical. So I want 90 degree angles because equipment is 90 degree angles. It makes sense. Back yeah. there better. Um, you know, I, I'm not, I like sitting on the other side of a curved bar. I love like the whole concept behind employees only's kidney shaped bar. Yeah. Like, they always do the same shape that, so that you're always making eye contact with someone at the bar and keeping yeah. it social, you know? So I get both sides, but um, yeah, I just like, that's how I think is like, I'm always kind of like analyzing for efficiency's sake. And, yeah. Which is interesting because writers don't do that, but I guess not. Engineers I, do that. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the writing I was doing was like comparing one car to another. So oh, okay. some of that's okay. pretty analytical. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, it definitely the, the copy I was writing for automotive stuff was less on the creative writing side, more on the, I mean, you had to, be creative to make it interesting to read yeah but it was pretty analytical interesting yeah so as you kind of stumbled i'm saying that in the most positive of ways but stumbled into bartending were you always kind of a people person someone that liked being amidst the public and chatting and getting to know people not really i think uh you know i started in the industry really young so i kind of got forced into it like in school i was kind of uh, a small group of friends i wasn't like the most social person Honestly, it was kind of a pothead, you know, <laughs> so like, it's kind of like stuck with my friends in high school. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think I started working in, you know, my, I got my first job when I was 14 years old at a Planet oh. Smoothie. And so like, that's instantly like customer service. Like oh, those totally. idiots left a 16 year old in their Planet Smoothie by himself. Like all I did all day was like trade smoothies to the pizza place next door for free food <laughs> and like drink smoothies all day. But like, it's kind of like forced interaction with customers. Yeah, you, know? absolutely. You, learn, you learn customer service at a very young age and then my first restaurant job was like right after my 15th birthday. Um, and I like went back of house. And so washing dishes, prep cook stuff. Yeah. So that wasn't very social, but like very quickly went back to the front of the house, running food, serving tables, and then eventually bartending around 19 when that's, I started bartending. That's so. incredible. What um, ultimately did you find was the allure to the hospitality industry for you? Uh, well, you know, I wanted a car when okay. I was, when I was, when I turned, when I was about to turn 14, uh, like much to my chagrin, uh, my dad was like, if you want a car, you need to buy a car. So right. get a job. And so I got paid $6 an hour to make smoothies. And then like, it was just the easiest way to make money in, in high school, you mm. know? So like I wanted to buy a car at 16. I got a job. I worked at the same restaurant for nine years in Atlanta That's cr- yeah. from 16 to 25. That's amazing. Uh, all through high school, all through college, right before I moved. My last day in Atlanta, uh, it was my last day at that job, and then I drove to California the next day. Um, wow. But, like, you know, as a 16-year-old food runner, making $250 for running food on a Saturday night, like, I was, was balling in high school, Hell you know? Yeah. It was like, you got no bills? Like, you're just, like, collecting money. So, like, that it was, like, it all started because it was easy money. Yeah. It was, like, and it was fun. Like, for a 16-year-old working in a restaurant and a bar is fun. Like, you're the youngest person there all your friends are 10 years older than you uh it's just it's fun yeah it is maybe not the most like wholesome environment wholesome might not be the right word no. yeah you're <laughs> but, uh, but enlivening yeah, yeah absolutely blast. yeah and it teaches valuable life skills i think so too know? yeah being taken advantage of getting drunk too much <laughs> yeah. i mean those are things i'm still learning about yeah, yeah. in my 30s it's right? everyday battle every day <laughs> for all of us uphill struggle <laughs> how was the kind of the social scene in la versus what you'd be kind of come accustomed to outside of Atlanta? I mean, 
it, it takes a minute to get used to LA, and I think everyone kind of has preconceived notions about it, yeah. about LA, like I did before I went. And Would you? I think, what did you think before you went? I mean, it's what you see, right? You see, like, Hollywood. Yeah. Right? You see, like... Plastic. Yeah, this very plastic, very sort of narcissistic and mm. fake, and that's real, that's there, but that's not LA. Like, that's a very small... That's a very small part of the population and a very small part of the culture of L.A. When you actually get there, and it takes some time. I mean, I got lucky and I got a good job pretty early bartending out there. It took mm-hmm. me about a month to find a good gig. It was like crazy how I got this job. But uh, a lot of people, it takes a year to kind of like break through the the bullshit, like this Hollywood facade. And then yeah. you discover like the real people of L.A. And it's awesome, like especially, you know. Real Angelinos, which are like unicorns, because you never meet them, you never meet them around where I live. Like people that are from there, yeah. Like it's they're amazing. Like I love the culture of Los Angeles. What it's, what would you say defines that culture? Uh, once you get past the stratosphere of or that veneer of superficiality, I think like the biggest the biggest surprise for me was like it's coming from Atlanta mm. was um, like just an air of like potential success there. Where mm. when I would tell someone in Atlanta like what I was going to do or like a goal that I had uh, as far as a career, whatever, whatever it is, financial goals, anything. They'd be like, yeah, right. Like, sure. Really? Everyone. And then you go to LA and you're like, this is what I want to do. And they're like, oh no shit. Like my cousin did that. You know, like, oh, I have a friend who's in that. Like I'll connect you. (laughs) And like, sometimes that's bullshit, but there's just like this, there's just like an essence of like success. Like it, it is a place where you can go younger and like have a passion for something and actually do it. Um, I'm sure it's a lot harder for like 99.9% of people who go to LA to pursue acting or music because right. that's like the big thing sure. but if you're going there with something else in mind like it's just a place that breeds success it's a, it's, a, it's a city of many industries and you can go there and be successful if you bust your ass and Atlanta just and I love Atlanta and I don't want to offend anyone back home but it just didn't have that feeling well there's, the money's not there the money's not LA's there. got a massive economy much yeah. larger than Atlanta does even though there's some kind of there's big corporations and things, but I mean that's just just talk about it. it's the dollars, man. There's so much more potential. But it's also yeah, I mean, and industries focus all their money on this. So my job does not exist if I do, if I don't leave Atlanta. Yeah, no exactly. One's, no one's right. hiring brand ambassadors on a national level from Atlanta. Boys. That's right. Yeah, not yet. Maybe yeah. they'll get there, Someday. but like, yeah, this no, none of that would have ever happened if I just stayed and was tenant bar in Atlanta. Yeah. Sometimes you got to move to evolve, yeah. you know. It happens like that quite a bit. So you worked at Soho House West, I think, right? Yeah, in Los West, Hollywood, West Hollywood. West yeah. Hollywood, thank you. When, and you've got like this kind of direct decorated resume. I mean, putting nine years in at an establishment in Atlanta, I think that sets a really great foundation to be stable in any other job you're doing in LA. I think that's maybe why you got the gig. You call it maybe a choice serendipitous moment but that's still a great foundation i mean i think it's, it's a good resume i mean no one in la knows what the fuck stony river steakhouse in atlanta is you Fair know enough, but yeah. uh, the way i got the job was crazy i i'd been out there i moved to redondo beach not knowing how far from la mm. that really was mm-hmm. i had no fucking clue that it was like gonna be an hour and a half commute into town um but i'd been like i moved out there on new year's eve and so i'm like in january going around this like beach town of redondo and hermosa mm-hmm. beach handing out my resume and everyone's like yeah dude great resume come back when we're hiring in the summer like i didn't the concept of seasonal employment like wasn't a thing in my brain yeah and so i just remembered that before i left a friend of mine was like i have a friend in la if you can't find a job let me know i'll pass your resume so i had like spun my wheels completely i emailed my friend mark i was like you know i, I need i need something and he sent my resume off 
And it was uh, one of my best friends in LA now, a guy named Billy. That's and, amazing. Uh, I got, got an interview. They hired me on the spot, just basically based on this guy in Atlanta's recommendation. That's so a, it. Was I mean, like you a never know the guy crazy that you, tiny thread. It, but it is so strange like that yeah. because you could piss off somebody that you didn't even mean to, and it can ruin your not ruin your career, but it can kind of stunt. Well, we, we were talking options. about that earlier today with this industry. Like those people, you're always going to see the same people. Sure. So don't piss anyone off. It goes back to like. <laughs> Don't be polarizing. Don't be an asshole because someone's going to move to another job that affects your future. Or you're going to move to another job that affects yeah. your future in this industry because it's a tiny industry. It is. We were out last night uh, at Laundrette having dinner, and one of my old barbacks from LA was bartending. What? Yeah, crazy. Had no Look idea. At Laundrette, really? Haven't seen him in years. Took us forever to figure out how we knew each other, and yeah. then that was it. There you go. It's a small. It's Case a really, really small industry, and this was last night. In Austin at Laundrette, no less. Yeah. Not like a cocktail place. Just like a kind of a hipstery restaurant. It's a nice place, of course. It's great. But, I mean, the world is just so epically small. And, like, if I had been a dick to that guy when he was a bar back <laughs> for me, like, you know, well, I probably wouldn't have had as bad of a hangover this morning. Cause That's true. Because we wouldn't have been forcing shots down our throats. But. So maybe it was better that, wait, hang on, I'm, now, now history is all mangled for me. I don't know what yeah. you should have done. Maybe I should have been really, really rude. Maybe. <laughs> it just doesn't seem like the right thing to do, though, does it? So... This at some point, this hospitality experience evolves into a passion for Mescal, the Tahona Society. It evolves into being the bartender of the year in like 2015, something like this. So all these great accolades. Now they may be. I would love if that if bartender of the year was an accolade. Is that a thing? I don't know. I would I would love that accolade. But you're um, bartender of this room right now. There we you go. win that. I'll take that. And I I, I mean Carly. I guess she's number two, and I'm yeah, three. No, so no offense, Carly. No offense, Carly. <laughs> But at what point did the construction of drinks, of booze, something, you know, when you're a kid, it's booze, right? You just get it and you get fucked yeah. up. When did it get elevated to maybe more of an art form for you? Well, I remember uh, I remember the first, like, real cocktail I had. It was in Atlanta, and I was bartending. I was 21, and I was bartending at the steakhouse. Yeah. And I was living down in Atlanta, and there's a place, and it's still there. It's called The Sound Table. Great, great bar, but it was, like, one of the first cocktail bars in Atlanta. And I went and I had like some variation on a blood and sand, mm. which I fucking hate. <laughs> I hate those cocktails. Like any any cocktail with orange juice in it, just yeah, it's, it's kinda, a little it's, it's hard kinda, to kind of wasted on me. Yeah, uh, but I had some variation on a blood and sand, and like I just remember the dude was from New York, and I don't even remember his name. The guy who came down and opened the bar, and like I picked his brain for like two hours. I was like, "What's that ingredient? What is that? What is that? What is that?" And uh, I was just like this whole kind of world was opened up to me and I tried to like bring some of that to the steakhouse. Like I at least brought in like Negronis. Yeah, like we were making wow. Negronis at the steakhouse. And uh, and then when I moved to LA, I was applying as a bartender. I got hired as a server at first at Soho House, but like very quickly made my way to the bar and they had a really airtight cocktail program and mm. kind of, I got like my first mentor there. Who uh, was your first mentor? Chris Ojeda. Mm, I've heard of Chris. Uh, maybe from Kiowa? He's from, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah I yeah. think that's So where... Kiowa was also a yeah. Soho House person. Very good friend. Uh, so... Chris was of like the Sasha Petrosky school, opened yeah. up the varnish and all those places. So um, that was like my first guy you know, who taught me cocktails. But like just he was very passionate about it. And you kind of when you start learning it, like it's a it breeds creativity, you know. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what led to caring. It activated about and maybe like said, I want to be cerebral about this. Yeah. It and takes somebody, right? There's some strong personality to 
lead us into that direction i think so and like it's you have to have mentors and like that's one of the other things i love about la is that attitude of uh sharing information and teaching people so it is that it is that oh man our industry in la is one of the best i've seen as far as like nothing's proprietary no kidding uh i've worked in some other cities that uh maybe were a little bit kept things a little closer to the chest and a little more secretive and more competitive but la is like you you call someone for anything and they're going to share it with you because it was shared with them like uh, almost nothing's original you know like Someone calls me for something that I have some expertise on. It's free and they can have it. And I that's love kind that. Of just, I didn't that's realize. That's kind of just how LA is. That, that, that was kind of the piece of that. Yeah, it's great. So when you, if you were to classify your, the bartending chapter, because you've now shifted to brand work. I have. What, did you feel like you got everything you needed out of that experience for now? That uh, you needed to do something else? Like, do I miss it or what yeah, do, you do you miss it? Do you feel fulfilled? I miss, I miss bartending. I miss, I love hospitality. So I enjoy making people drinks, yeah. but like, uh, and I do miss that. I don't miss how my body feels at the end of an eight hour bartending shift or yeah. like bar rod on your fingers and your back and your feet hurting. So like, I would still love to do it, you know, every now and I still do get to jump behind a bar and do guest bartending. Sure. I still get to be creative and make cocktails, which is cool. So like, I still get that outlet a little bit. Um, but like the fact that, nowadays bartending can lead to a job like this yeah. is crazy to me and i still like a few years in i'm like how is this and like maybe mostly because my mom was like how is that a real job like what are you doing uh but it's crazy <laughs> to me can't that really that, classify it or... yeah i was like mom's like oh you're calling me you must be at an airport i'm like yeah i'm calling you I'm at an airport. um but it's just like it's amazing that bartending can lead to to a career like this yeah and to a job like this do you do you think we could get we so with the digital era, I suppose you could say, we can get anything we want when we want it, ultimately. Besides a bottle of mezcal like this, which yep. is great to share with you. But do you think that that kind of impetuousness and obsessiveness, sorry, compulsiveness is a better word for sure. it, maybe drives bartenders to, to strive to be famous and a brand ambassador far too soon before they've actually got the foundations in place absolutely uh you know the whole the the star tender the star tender thing um listen i i will never hate on someone for wanting to build their own brand and 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 pursue their own career and make a name for themselves i think that's amazing i think maybe i don't think it's the fault of the bartender who wants to move up i think oftentimes brands are a little too eager with people who maybe haven't been tenured enough in the industry and maybe some companies don't do enough research on like who they're looking into to represent their brand or um, you know, I think, yeah, I mean, some cities don't have enough good bartenders to support all of them getting brand jobs. You know, it's like, crazy. Yeah, like, good bartenders hard to find, and and uh, you start giving them all brand jobs, then are there any good bartenders left? And right, because like, they'd be like, well, that's really what I want. Yeah. I, just, I want what I saw on TV, and I saw in the magazine spread. I just want to be the star. I want to be the center of attention. And I get it. I do too. I get it. But like, I just hope you know. I hope they're. I hope the good bartenders are passing along enough information to the younger people before they go on and take those jobs. That's the that's the wisest advice or the sagest advice because I suspect that it's not happening. The transfer of knowledge, people are transitioning. That like mentorship process, like yeah. I was lucky enough to get, is probably not as common anymore. What can you do to kind of make sure that people at least are con- cognizant of the fact that that might be lacking? in this industry mentorship well i'm probably the worst example because <laughs> okay <laughs> well no i mean i just you know i you know i worked at bars with like really tenured and amazing bartenders like yeah. i never really had anyone i was mentoring 
That's okay. I mean, it's that's okay. I'm, yeah, I'm still that's in the okay. business, it's and like I think you can mentor people from all roles, not necessarily bartending, but I just I like that. In a lot of markets, there is like this like trickle down school, and I forget who it was. Someone recently was putting together a bartender like family tree. Like, oh, who, I saw who that. Did yeah. you, who did you learn from? Where did it go? And that's I think that's amazing that sure. people are like keeping track of like where schools this information, of thought, man. where this information came from, yeah. right? Like, yeah, these like different styles and these different schools. But I mean, I think it's smart. Like, take the time to train your barbacks if they're interested in learning how to bartend. You know, Get, let them reach their potential. Yeah, and don't. I think. Uh, and I think it's getting better, but historically, not a lot of bars have given inexperienced people a shot. Yeah. And they've always wanted people who already had a name and who've already had a ton of experience. And I think, you know, I, if I owned a bar, I would rather hire someone totally green. Absolutely. And who just had a passion for hospitality and, and train them in my school of thought. Yeah. <laughs> so, so they learned how to make shit the way I wanted them to make it. You totally. Know? So, I mean, talent. Because if they're going to be in your bar, like, and I think more people should do that. Yeah. And give, give, because we need if if our whole generation is getting brand jobs, like who's going to be the next generation of great bartenders? And you have to you have to let new people in, dude. Someone's got to pick the apples. And certain you cities I mean? are worse about it than others, right? Not, well, the to, bigger, not to name names. No, sure, of course. But I mean, the, it's it's like that, and I, I just think it's something worth discussing that it could be this looming crisis in a sense, right? Yeah. That, I mean, we're already, and I'm sure that LA has experienced that, or maybe not. But I know Houston. Austin, it has more jobs available than there are qualified people to fill yeah. them, and that's that's a crisis. LA's got its own its own crises. I think our crisis, we have a hospitality crisis as well. I don't know if it's necessarily that. I think that's kind of a good problem to have. Sure. Great, great jobs available. You yeah. know, uh, ours is no one can afford good help anymore mm-hmm. because rent is so high, and because we're moving to, you know, not to get too political about it, but we're moving to a fifteen dollar minimum wage. Mm. And we're not a tip credit state. Oh. So even if you're a tipped employee, you're getting $15, $15 minimum wage an hour, which is bananas. Yeah. So no restaurants can afford to offer great hospitality. I mean, at a base level, we're just talking about fewer cooks in the kitchen. We're talking about uh, fewer servers on the floor. So a lot more guests per server. If, right. you have serv- if you can even afford to have servers anymore, uh, everywhere is going to order at the bar, take a number. Wow. Like there's going to be, there's like a giant, there's a giant, bubble about to burst for hospitality in LA and it sucks. It's, it's an interesting and different problem that yeah. we experience here. So it's a little bit different I think yeah. than than what's going on here right now. Um it's just cuz I think the industry is a few years ahead there in LA, but Abs- Well, absolutely. Um yeah, it's, it's interesting that you know the people the people making these laws don't understand the effect and the effect won't happen for another couple of years and then they won't know why it happened because yeah. they won't remember when they passed this law 3 years ago that really fucked everything. People um, yeah, legend Texas is the same way, except yeah. we have other things. If I were to do something at work and really fight for it to get approved or get passed and get buy-in from all of my peers, there would be one question that they would always ask me, my peers, in a real bit legitimate business, which government isn't. But they would say, well, what's the business justification? You know what? There's not a goddamn thing that went through the Senate this year, like in Texas, that's really like a business board. It's all just, I feel this way. Yeah, You're a dick. So I want to make sure you can't get into public school. You know, it's just, that's where we're at. Platitudal kind of thinking. And I'm, believe me, I'm not trying to uh, embroil you in a political No, it's discussion, interesting. But it is. I mean, it's it's just we don't really think about the consequences there. Because yeah. we're just feeling it. Absolutely. No, the business acumen is not necessarily there. And I didn't realize that was the same kind of thing that's happening. It's you know, like, Yeah, I mean, it's, the people, the, obviously the people controlling these 
things and making yeah. these laws and putting this legislation into place. They have no idea. They've never worked in the industry. They don't. They don't own a business. God, no they kidding. Don't, they, they've never owned a business. That's why they're. That's why they work in politics. You know. <laughs> what else uh, am I going to do? Yeah, they know nothing about business, so they don't understand the repercussions. And like, I desperately, desperately want LA to be a great, great restaurant city because I yeah. think it's gotten a bad rap forever. Um, people don't like consider it on the level of like New York, San Francisco, Chicago, as far as restaurants go. And I totally understand why. Yeah. Um, but we have this incredible restaurant culture that's just very different. Um, but th- it's seemingly doomed. Not, and I'm usually not that cynical. No, but, uh, I know, but that maybe but that's it is, not It cynical. is like a very serious thing for people who, you know, I, I, it's already one of the hardest cities to have a bartender-owned bar. That's yeah. like I blindly support any bartender-owned bar because it's something I really, really believe in. We have like three. Yeah. <laughs> I go to wow. any other city and there's so many. It's just... Uh, our industry is it's it's about to be in a crisis. I don't think people know what's in yet. I don't think so either. Dot dot dot. Yeah. So we'll see how things we'll unfold see. there. So you're here though because we have an amazing week ahead of us. A week dedicated to charity, a week dedicated to giving and the blessed Negroni. Absolutely. So let's talk about first how you got introduced to the the Campari group. How did you kind of transition into that role? Were they like persuading you or they dating you a little bit uh a little bit so into into my current role yes there was a lot of persuading that happened and it, it felt it was quite quite the stroke to the ego it was yeah. wonderful uh but first off uh my name was thrown in a hat by a friend of mine someone from campari came to him and said we need someone good in la to do this job and they called me and i was very hesitant to go to the brand side i you know i wasn't looking for a brand job and then when they were like well this is your portfolio and I was like, oh, shit. I've heard what? of that. Yeah. Well, no, it was like, <laughs> these are my favorite things. Yeah. Like, I love Amaro. You know, it's like the only thing I ever would have considered was in the in Agave mm. or in Amaro. I never, I wouldn't take an ambassador job for anything else. And so when they presented this portfolio, I was like, holy shit, like this is extensive. Like this is a great portfolio of products. Like I believe in everything in it. So I took the interview and I got to like meet the people and it was like, great, let's do this. What in the portfolio, many things that we've heard of, but what's, there's this term from the 80s about movies that weren't really popular, but they're still really good, like Soderbergh, yeah. fit in perfectly, right? What's the sleeper in your category, in your book? What's the one that you love, but people don't really give a lot of love to? Well, in our industry, I, I think people give it love, but not a lot of people have been able to taste it yet, but like Braulio is, oh, Braulio, yeah. Braulio is my baby. Like that is a huge reason I took this job. It was already my favorite Amaro. It's I think it's an incredible product and not to just like be on a sales pitch on your yeah, on no, your no. on your show. But uh as far as like the consumer, this is a very obscure product. I think yeah. in our industry, bartenders, it has a lot of cachet and people have probably tasted it. Um but that's the one that's like I just when I go around to bars, I walk around with my computer bag like I look business professional, but the only thing in there's a bottle of Bradley. <laughs> I just I just taste people that have never had it before on it. I'm just like, Do you want to taste this? Boom, boom, boom. Yeah, and that's like that's kind of like my my pet project. Is it's to, like your Velvet Underground. Yeah, exactly. It's, right, like it's cultish and people know it, but it never ever will probably reach mainstream status. I don't think know? it can. It's a. It, it, I don't think they'll ever be at the production that it can be like a super mainstream product. Yeah. I hope they never are. Yeah, I think keep in order for like a brand like that to really go mass production, they'd have to cut some corners, and I don't ever want to see that happen. I like that. Yeah. I mean, staying true, keeping the sound real, keep it pure, keep it pure. You know, and it, when we talk about Amaro, like these are things that it's a pretty sustainable thing. Sure. You know, it's it's not a resource that's like dying. We're talking about like something that's really recreatable, and that most of the ingredients are you know annuals yeah, and things yeah. that grow every year. And you can do you know, uh, it's not like agave that like 
Once people, you kill people, our Kenyo, it's dead. Kind yeah, of thing. well, like yeah. people like you and I hoard it because we know it's not going to be around forever. Like yeah. within our lifetimes, these these incredible agave products are gone. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I just hope, like, I hope Braulio stays as pure as it is because I love, I love, love, love that product. I love it, man. Yeah. I, I just, I, I, when I think about it, and I always use music as analogies because it's the thing that's most familiar to me, but I think of, like, the replacements. I think of Velvet Underground, like these things that are really, really edgy, yeah. but they'll never, they'll never ever. be huge in mainstream. But that's okay. And yeah. That's a good thing. So this week, the Negroni week starts, is it next week? Negroni week starts Monday. The and, there's, and there's a crawl. We've got a lot of great things planned here in Austin, but so are you well, in that's, town? That's your girl Carly setting up that's all right. these, amazing, these amazing Austin activities. Dude, there's an amazing there. Negroni crawl on Lamar. Yeah. That wouldn't have been possible three years ago because that place didn't talk about industry and how things have just merged and be grown so much you couldn't do that shit three years ago yeah. austin's grown that much that neighborhood is amazing oh, it's killer it's yeah. killer so you're in town to shoot t-shirts out of a cannon <laughs> which i think is part of the resume having experience with that kind of thing that t-shirt cannon is this is it's so much more than a t-shirt cannon <laughs> because it is like this is just like this is like the personification of all my like wildest brand ambassador dreams come yeah. true is like finally getting this thing I've been asking for for two years, like asking for it so many times that it just turned into a joke. That's amazing. Like, you know, I'd be walking out of a meeting, and be like, okay, like just let me know when the t-shirt can is coming. So, <laughs> uh, you know, count on Texas to like take me seriously, which is well, amazing we're bigger because, and better, right? because LA was not having it. No kidding. And the first time I brought it up to the Texas team, they were like, Oh, Oh yeah, we can make that happen. And I just thought it was, you know, whatever. I'll just pull one out of the garage. And I then, got plenty of these. And things. then it, then it happened. And yesterday was a big day. Yesterday was a milestone, a career milestone for me. How did it my feel? first t-shirt cannon? How did it feel to launch felt that so, first? It felt t-shirt. so very good. Uh, <laughs> is there some kick on this thing? It's got, it's got a lot of recoil. That's really? like 300 PSI. This thing no shoots shit, a t-shirt that's out. Quite a, yeah, it's a bit. Yeah. So, we yeah we had a lot of fun with the t-shirt cannon. Yesterday. That's amazing. Probably shot about a hundred t-shirts out yesterday. And it was you guys over half step, right? We started half step. They uh, were so gracious to allow us to use their yard as kind of our testing facility. That's right. Yeah, it was a little bit of a new process to all of us. So, you know, no no <laughs> animals were harmed, no eyes were poked out. Fortunately, <laughs> everything Luckily went their shirts. Everything right? went like, as planned. Oh. Yeah, like how bad could it hurt? Yeah. Uh, but no, so we tested that, and then we were just kind of like all over last night. We did some, uh, we did some hotel Vanzant, like from the alley up into the pool That's shots, amazing. which was really fun. So, yeah, big big day yesterday. It seemed like <laughs> the space race had ended. Yeah, you know, yeah, you yeah, finally yeah. got won. it into orbit. You yeah. won. The kids are all going. But now I got to think about the next thing I'm going to ask for. What's going to take me the next two years to get? Oh, I think man. bigger. Yeah, well, bigger. Just be careful. Yeah, be always always be careful. <laughs> <laughs> So, for you, let, let's talk about Negroni Week here for a second, which is a week dedicated to Negronis, but for charity itself. What what kinds of do you see pretty good participation across the nation in and this event? So it grows every year, which is amazing. And this year, so much more streamlined and organized. And the number I heard, and Carly might know better, is that sixty eight hundred accounts around the world had signed up already. Oh my god, it's incredible. Uh, Every one of those accounts this year has donated at least $25 minimum. So that's already a ton of money. We yeah. haven't even started Negroni Week yet. Negroni Week starts on Monday. So that's like a massive, massive participation. It's a ton of money. Campari's donating a ton of money. They're donating 75 grand this year. So wow. like it's going to raise drastically more money than it ever has in the past, which is great. And it's raised a lot of money in the past. Yeah. I think it's a super cool event. Um, people really get behind it. Yeah. It's like our Super Bowl, at least mine. This is my third Negroni Week with the company. So it's like the two months before just like pound and pavement like setting up everything but 
people get crazy creative, really cool events, really cool activations, and it's for a really great cause. And you get to pick your cause, which is cool. Yeah, I think it's the best part, right? right? Because yeah. it, you're not pre- prescribing any any line of school of thought, right? Yeah. You can it can be diabetes research, it can be cancer, it can be a homeless, you know, all these things. And I think that that's I think that that's lacking. It can be global, it can be national, it can be hyper local. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that the that just general sense of philanthropy, I think that this happens and is occurring at a really good time. Or maybe people are a little disheartened and feel like they're not getting taken care of, you know? So do you find that generally speaking, people are very excited and they really want to give back to the community these days? I think so. I think in general, our industry is more focused on giving back than it ever has been. Yeah. I mean, with things like speed rack, getting such international attention and being for such a good cause. I mean, that's really like, they were really one of the first. They're, they're, I mean, this is the fifth Negroni week and the fifth season of Speed Rack as well. So I guess we kind of started around oh, the same time. Oh, that's an interesting correlation. But, I um, that. And now we're actually like, we work pretty closely with them. But uh, yeah, I think there's a lot of focus on giving back now. I mean, people do things for charity year round. Like this, yeah. this is the big one. There's a lot of, lot of attention, a lot of PR around this one, but our industry is really starting to care. It's kind about, of a nice about shift. Well, you know, I think they've always cared. We're, we're is, serving booze. We should be doing something to give back too. You know, I like think. trying to finally cure cancer. Yeah, we we don't cure cancer. We but we could potentially with these donations, right? Yeah, I mean, Negroni is going to raise a whole lot of money this year. That's an amazing thing. Yeah. So I've got just a few questions left for you cool. before you are off into the night and off into kind of hang out. We've got, we got one more, more night to sign up for the Week, so Carly and I are going to be pounding pavement. Today. Do it. Get those yeah. clipboards out there, man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you like Greenpeace. That's right. <laughs> Bring it back. Standing outside of HEB. That's a great point. There's up. an HEB right across the street. <laughs> Lots of foot traffic. They look like drunks, most of them. So perfect. it might be perfect. Yeah, I don't Negronis. No promises. No promises. <laughs> When I think about the kinds of things that you're interested in, it seems like this really great culmination of random things, man. Design, writing, your folks are in chiropractic. It's really, really a cool amalgam that kind of brought you to this point that you're here now. So let's imagine that you're enjoying whatever spirit you want, whether it's mezcal, Campari, anywhere in the world, and you can sit at a bar and have a conversation with anybody living or deceased. Who would you like to just sit there at the bar and have an in-depth conversation with. I mean, you know, I think, and I'm sorry, Campari, that it's not someone more Italian, but I think, like, you know, <laughs> don't you think, like, to be in Cuba drinking a Hemingway daiquiri with Hemingway would be? Does everyone give that same answer? Like, I feel like everyone in the everyone in the business would go do that. Like, only a few people. But okay, that so makes sense. It's it's either like it's either like Havana with Hemingway, or even like even like. Spain, Basque country, doing like the whole sun also rises thing, drinking sherry with Hemingway. But I, don't, oh, man. I never really thought that I cared about Hemingway that much. But I do, I do like when it comes to like someone who could like really verbalize what like the environment of having the right drink in the right place at the right time. I think he probably nailed it best. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that's probably would be. I'm, I'm I'm absolutely in agreement. I just don't want to fight him. He's probably pretty yeah. stocky. Yeah, and he's a you know. He's a he's he's a drunk and he's and he was rowdy. So yeah, it's, yeah. there's so many great. There's so much complexity to that man. And I think that in itself deserves a show and a conversation. Because yeah. is he was he fighting homosexuality for a long time, which might have caused this aggression? I mean, that's a theory. You know, he's suicidal. But is it because of depression? Is it because of these other inner turmoil? So hell, 
you would have an amazing conversation yeah. with that man. Yeah, Maybe or would, like you have to break him up from getting in a bar. That's fight. right. Yeah, yeah like, like it's going to be interesting no matter what. It's either going to be like way. riveting conversation, or you know, he's going to just give one word answers and like throw his drink at someone. Absolutely. Yeah, I heard. Yes. So the last question for you before again you head off into the night and uh, set up shop at the HB across the street, collecting names for Negroni <laughs> Greek. So, what's next for you? What's next on the leg here on this tour as the rock star that you are? Like career-wise, what's uh, next or life-wise? Yeah. Life-wise, I don't know. I I love I love what I do. Um, I realize and actually was having drinks with a uh, another brand ambassador friend who travels even more than I do, if yeah. you can believe that, and has a few years on me. And it's like we were talking about, the, you know, that life is maybe not something you can do forever and remain healthy. Yeah, At a certain point, it's going to catch up to you. You know, I'm in a hundred bars plus a month. Um, and this is not complaining. I, I absolutely love what I do, sure, but I sure. do understand that, like, maybe you don't travel forever like this. You mm. do it for a few years, and I think uh, it's good for brands to evolve with who their face is anyway at some point. So I'm probably not going to do this forever, um, but I love what I do. I, you know, operations is something I miss a little bit. I, there's, I'll have a bar one day. Yeah. You know? I what will. about a family? Are you interested in that piece? Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't need it. Yeah. But some I'm people open, need it. I'm an open-minded person. I grew up in a place where I am the weird one for being 31 years old and being single and not having kids, right? I mean, that's I the South, it. right? Yeah. It's just, I'm sure it's very similar in Texas. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I am super open-minded to the wife and kids thing, but I'm not someone, I don't think anything really works out the way it's supposed to if you force it. Yeah. And so just kind of go go with what happens. Go with maybe one day. I like it. I'm a good uncle, I think. Maybe I'd be an okay dad. That's I don't a great. Know. <sighs> yeah, I don't know. I'm it's pulling the collar right different. here. pretty different. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I get to leave when the kid starts to be a dick as an uncle, you know? Perfect escape plan. <laughs> Exit strategy yeah. from the moment you walk in the door. Here, take this back. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> well, man, it's been a pleasure getting to chat with you. Yeah. yeah thank Carly so much fun. for coordinating this and sipping some Del Maguey, Jarnak Rested San Luis Del Rio. Oh, my God. And, yeah. Thank you for that. Oh, it's, and thank it's you for having me. A pleasure, man. So we'll keep in touch, Mike. It, it's been yeah. great getting to know you. And uh, I love watching the jet setting activities on your I appreciate Facebook feed. That. All right, dude. Cheers. Well, there we have it. Mr. Mike Capoferry of Campari America talking about Amari, talking about love, talking about health. Lots of great things. And it's nice to know that someone so level-headed is out of L.A. The more people that I meet from L.A., you know, it gets this bad rap. I've been watching Californication lately, and you'd think that everybody's superficial or kind of really, really flighty and flaky. But you meet these people, especially from Campari, but Mike in general, just amazing, amazing guy. And I really appreciate Carly again setting this conversation up and Mike coming by the place, sipping some mezcal with me and talking about life. I think your greatest work is right before you and I can't wait to see what you do next. So thanks everybody for listening to Show to V with Mike G. I know it's been a few weeks since I put a chat out. That will not be the case here for 2018. I'm going to take next week off. I hope you guys enjoy Christmas and holidays with your family. And then we have the San Antonio Cocktail Conference 2018 happening just that second week of January. But I'll see you guys there. I've been working on a new record. I've got so many things to share with you. So many conversations. So many new tunes. And so many great discussions about things we really need to be talking about such as sexual harassment in the hospitality industry all this stuff and more to come in 2018 it's been a pleasure to get to share this stuff with you and i hope you guys have a wonderful holiday with your family and a happy new year so no matter how much champagne you drink how much rum how much nog 
Doesn't matter. Be with your families and please keep dancing.